Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend, Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? And secondly, how was my intro? Sometimes you comment on my speed. Was that was that acceptable to you? I'm fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. With my speed or you're just like fine in general? Because I did ask you two questions. It was a compound question. I'm yeah. trying to trick you here. That's an objection. Uh, no, I'm doing great. There is um, about a month's worth of baseball left, so shit's getting real. Last time I checked... The American League West had almost exactly a three-way tie at the top, which is crazy. Okay, so hear me out. You you know, you're always playing, you know, uh, oftentimes the schedules are constructed to have multiple games against division opponents at the end of the season. We've got... To create some separation in each division. That's right. You've got like four or five teams in the American League right now that are all super close to each other. And in the American League West, you have three teams that are literally neck and neck. Uh, And so with, you know, a month to go, 30-ish games to go in the season, you've got these teams that are going to have to either break apart or not. Well, in the Mariners' last 10 games, they play seven against the Texas Rangers and three against the Houston Astros, who just so happen to be... They might have just won a World Series. ...the other two teams that they're competing with at the AL West. Uh, Fortunately, all those teams are in pretty good place standing, you know, in pretty good position in the wild card race, but you've also got Toronto that's in there. Toronto. Boston has not disappeared uh, you know, we've just got this really crazy race that I don't think I, I don't think the American League West is going to be decided until like per, perhaps the last game of the season. It's crazy. It's going to be crazy. This is going to be one of the most fun end of seasons. I can remember someone's going to get left out. I'm yeah. guessing Toronto. I'm hoping Toronto. Uh, but, you know, I don't care if Texas doesn't make the playoffs. I don't give a shit. I don't care about the Rangers. Sorry. I want the Rangers to make the playoffs. Sorry if you're a Rangers fan. I don't care. If Houston didn't make the playoffs, I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted. I'm sorry if you're a Houston fan. N- nobody else likes you, especially in the American League. Go back to the National League. We don't need you. True. We, <laughs> we don't need you. So anyway. You think people are going to say that to the Ducks when we win the Big Ten this year or next year? Oh, boy. Uh, maybe go back to the pack four. We don't need you. Yeah, you know it's interesting. The Ducks going to the Big Ten. Um, that there are there are a lot of really good teams in the Big Ten, and I think the Ducks competition has just stiffened. I think it's it, it's an interesting change. You know, you've got Michigan, mm-hmm. you got Ohio State. I mean, Michigan's probably. This year, Michigan's one of the best teams in the country. Ohio State's always good. You, you know, Washington, USC. The, the I think Pac- when you look at how competitive the Pac-12 was against how competitive the Big Ten was, I don't know that we're gaining much besides publicized games, right? When you look at Stanford has their, like, three good seasons a decade, and when they do, they fucking do Washington and Washington State are competitive teams. Cal, USC are always competitive teams. I mean, three quarters of the Pac-12 were really competitive teams, which is why they've all left. 
Cal, Cal hasn't been competitive. I mean, Cal they haven't been competitive like in a while. One good season in the last two decades. UCLA was on and off. Like there, there were really competitive teams, and all eight of them have left. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it's interesting. In any event, baseball. I'm very excited. This is the doing math time of the season. Like, well, if this happens, then this. Uh, it's fun. It's exciting. It's fun to look at those last ten games and think, well, a, that's twenty games away. So, what's going to happen between now and then? And B, is there any way to feel comfortable going into those ten games? And I think the answer is no. No, not when you play that many games and you stay that competitive throughout the season. Go Mariners. In any event, go Mariners. I have a weird baseball relationship in that I grew up in Portland and was by default a Mariners fan. And that was like the team that I watched and cared about. And then like started to kind of give a shit about baseball while living in Tejas and followed the Rangers. And now I have a, a complicated environment. Yeah, fuck the Rangers. Not nearly as complicated as our friend Tommy, whose uh, wife is a Michigan fan, and they now exist in the same yeah. conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Andrew, how are you? I am good. I had a really pretty productive weekend. We went camping last week, right? We already talked about that. We did. So I guess we I did. didn't do much this weekend. I just kind of like recouped and... Like got shit done around the house. I work today, so I'm just kind of, kind of chilling. Yeah, I'm good. Like yeah. a villain. It, exactly. That's what I'm known for. My villainous chilling. It's gonna be my rap name. V- villainous, villainous chiller. Chilling. Nah, that needs workshopped. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, in any event, we're not talking about villain names or rapster names. Rather, we are talking about watches, which is what we do, which is what we've done something like 252 times today being 253. So Reddit is a website that you may have heard of. It's got these things called sub reddits, which are like in and of themselves forums. So Reddit is like a the forum, the forum with sub forums. There is a subreddit for everything. There's a subreddit for, I'm sure, crocheting. I'm sure there's a bunch. There's a subreddit. There's subreddits for like individual YouTube channels and video games. Anyway, there's a subreddit for the city of Eugene. It's called Are Eugene. Are Eugene. That's right. And today, someone posted on the Eugene subreddit something to the effect of. Um, are there any famous, are there any famous, uh, podcasters or YouTubers from Eugene? Dan and the Car- answer is no. Dan Carlin <laughs> is from Eugene. Um, the Peter, I can't remember Peter's last name, but the, the founder of on the rocks, who's got a very popular YouTube is on Eugene. There's a few others. We have a few others, um, that are here. Cam Haynes is from Eugene. He's from Springfield. There are a number of, you know, mid-level influencer types that are from Eugene. But Cam Haynes is actually pretty notable. He's one of he was one of Under Armour's only two sport athletes. There were like three. Yeah, yeah he's very he's notable. Well, yeah. Dan Carlin is notable yeah. too, right? So we we've got a handful. In any event, someone, someone who I don't know, 
put on there the 40 and 20 podcast, Andrew and Everett. As if it was everything you need to know. (laughs) Um, And I saw it because I frequent the R. Eugene and I commented, I think I said, yo, yo. Uh, But yeah, I was like, that's cool, man. Like someone that's from Eugene is like, this is a, this is a big deal. And I listened to it and, and then with was it you? It wasn't me. It's someone I do not know. It's someone I like went through their post history to see if I could figure out who it was, and I, and I was not able to. Um. So yeah, hit us up whoever it, you are. That's right. <laughs> not At underscore watch clicker. Don't hit the forty and twenty page. That's right. We'll That's tell right. that story someday. Forty and twenty underscore watch clicker. N- not someone I was familiar <clears throat> with. In any event, um. In any event, thank you to to whoever you are for thinking we're famous. Uh, and within about twenty minutes of that, so a local business reached out to us and asked what our rates for sponsorship on the show are: ten thousand dollars. <laughs> and I gave them our standard rates. Our standard rates. We've got different rates. If you're a watch person or a non-watch person, I gave them our rates, and I don't know what, what will come of that, but. I was like, wow, what a neat little turn of events. We're famous. We are famous. We're famous. We're getting unsolicited sponsorship <laughs> requests. Yeah, that's right. We turn down reviews. We turn down interviews. Guys, we're there. We're at the pinnacle. Still don't charge you, though. So you're welcome. What are we talking about today, Andrew? So, I had this idea, and I was thinking about a lot of overlap, right? Because you look at all these new releases, and a lot of the new releases are like, oh, it's really cool. I really like this new release from this brand. But if you kind of 30,000 foot view it, and I I got this idea because I was showing my wife a watch, and I was like, hey, I want to buy this. It costs this many money. She's like, that looks like every other watch you own. And I was like, you're, you're, you're objectively wrong here. They are all different. This is different for this reason. No, no, it's the same watch. And I, and so I was kind of like thinking on that idea and I had that, just had that recent experience and I was thinking about these new releases and I was thinking about military watches for whatever reason. And I kind of wondered, I was like, how much is too much of a good thing? Because we're always in the mindset of more is better Mm -hmm. and more is more Mm -hmm. and more is more better, right? We like the, we like a lot of watches and we like brands to be producing stuff and we like people to be doing stuff. But with respect to military watches and field watches, like how, how many brands do we really need to make the same field watch? I get there's some nuance, there's some differences, but I'm thinking like the really classic A11. How many brands do we really need making that military watch? And that was kind of what got us started down this rabbit hole. And I pitched this idea to Everett and he's like, I like that. Like how much is too much? So we both dove into the A11. Had a little bit of a surprise, and we'll get there. Was it surprising for me? Was it surprising for you? 
Hmm. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to. We'll, okay. Yeah, we'll get there. So, so let's talk first about what the A11 is. And the A11 is, oh, it's your iPad. It is my iPad. Did you bring, my, your, bring your pen, pineapple, pineapple pen? I did not bring my pen. Fucking kidding me? Well, I'm sorry. What, what do I need it for? Notes. Well, but I've already written all the notes. You're an <laughs> asshole. The A11 was a, is a World War II American military spec sheet watch where the American government put out specific specifications for a watch out to contract and said, hey, we want this. So, and I, I can, I can, I can uh, fill in a little bit. Okay. 1943, spec was 94-27834-B, which replaced the prior spec, the dash A spec, and that is where we get the specs for the A11 watch. So that specific stuff, February of 1943, the A11 watch is born. And it's not a model of watch, but rather it's a list of specifications by which to make a watch, a set of criteria, if you will. Mm-hmm. So the American military puts out the spec sheet and says, hey, if you want to make some cheddar, Make us a watch within these specifications. Here are the kind of general specifications. Had to be 15 or more jewels. So a lot of companies were not making a 15 plus jewel movement. So they made a couple of changes, added a 15th or 16th jewel. They got it taken care of. Had to be hacking and hand winding. Had to have a power reserve between 30 and 52 hours. Mm, that sounds right-ish, yes. Plus or minus 30 seconds. Now the dial center seconds. Yeah, plus and and center seconds. The dial had to be center seconds, had to have a one to twelve hour markers and a minute track with 10 minute demarcations. Mm-hmm. Case size had to be 32 to 36, 39 lug to mm, lug. No, case size had for, to be 32? Uh 30 to 33. 30 to 33. Okay. Yeah, it's actually like 29. It, it was in inches, right? So so it was actually 29 and change, like 29.7 to 33.2, something like that. 39 lug to lug, 16 millimeter lugs, and had to have the indestructible acrylic crystal. Yeah, uh, clear and non-breakable is the term from the spec. Also had, it did. there was no indication on bezel style, so it could be mm-hmm. plain or coin edge. Uh, I lost something that I didn't think I was going to lose, so I didn't even put it on my note sheet. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, a green or OD strap. Yeah. This is a, cu- a couple of other notes I'll add, because I, I, based on your inflection, I, I gather you're done. Um, steel, obviously, was at a was at a premium during World War II, so... Uh, there was a handful of alloys that it could be made out of, but it had to be chrome-plated, although I do understand a few of these were made with silver. Yeah, right? What a baller watch to get issued. It had to have a steel case back <laughs> mm-hmm. with specific engravings. Um, it, with the effective NSN, the national stock number, indicating that it was specced out. That's right. And, and, and for water resistance, 
they they didn't they they didn't specify a water resistance depth rating because that wasn't really a thing yet. Mm-hmm. Rather, they had a specific test that had to be performed, which was to suspend the watch in mercury equivalent to 72 inches of water, or I believe that's seven feet of water, equivalent to the pressure of seven feet of water. That's five feet. 70, six feet. Okay. 72 inches, there, six feet. There I'm, you go. Because I'm 69 inches tall. There you go. And I'm not six feet tall. Uh, and and it had to stay there for 15 minutes or for 15 seconds, I believe. Uh, yeah, for 15 seconds, which is, uh, oh, yeah, I have six feet right here, um, <laughs> which is a very, like, bizarre, you know, test. Now we would just say it needs to be water resistant to yeah. or dust meters or, or like or something. So, yeah, uh, I think that I, obviously... There's a lot more to the specs. The only other thing I would add is that it there were drawings of a case, drawings of hands, mm-hmm. and drawings of a dial. And there was some room for interpretation, as we will see mm-hmm. with the watches that get released. But as, but but really it was that that was it. You you know, the case profile needs to look like this. No uh no brand badging on the dial either. That's right. Loom was an option. The Navy wanted to see, uh, what was it called? The Navy Bureau of Aeronautics wanted a full loomed yeah. dial. But what, Loom was also optional. Yeah. Well, well and, and the, Navy, the Navy Aeronautics do not have to follow the Army standards. So they, they released revisions to the A11 spec, which included luminous dots at five minutes and at the hour and minute hands. So a lot of times you'll see watches that look a lot like an A11 watch, but slightly different with these five-minute loom pips. And those are actually probably Navy watches. Mm-hmm. Or modern interpretations of this loom A11 watch. That's right. <laughs> so, <coughs> we've got the kind of general specs down. Uh, four companies were producing A11s at this point. Elgin... Bolivar, Waltham, Hamilton. And I don't think I don't think Hamilton makes any of these until significantly later. But they were making them. They did make some. They aren't in the top three, but they did exist. It happened. They were late to the party. But we've got four companies making this original. Everyone make the same thing. Watch. Very Boktaki, very kind of seagully. They all look the same. They're using typically one of two movements, either an Elgin or a Bulova movement. And this is it. This is the watch. This is the watch that won the war. And that seems a bit like an overstatement to me. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I will... I will accept it if you know if we consider that millions of these were issued to uh, to American military service members over the course of World War II. So, um, you know, there were also the underpants that won the war, which we'll probably talk about in a future episode, um, as well as the socks. Um, yeah. So, in looking at what the A11 specs are. Andrew, I don't think Hamilton made an A11 Hamilton watch. made a fucking A11. I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't think Hamilton made an A11. 
Um, but carry on. No, now I'm Googling okay. so I can put it in your face. While you're Googling, I will say that there are a number of watches that exist today which are based very closely on an A11 watch. And and most of them refer to the A11 in their title. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list. Rather, these are the ones that I could find. Yeah. So this is what surprised me. When I think of an A11, I'm like, there's 30 brands making an A11 or a military, a World War II military watch. But when we go against the spec sheet, some revelations were made. Yeah, I was able to find, I was able to find six that I was confident in. Uh, Those are the Bulova A11 hack. That's a $350 watch that comes in at 38 millimeters. Look, in, A11 by Interestingly, Hamilton. it's got a blue dial, and it's an automatic, so not a two-spec A11, uh, but evocative nonetheless. The MK2, I think it's called the Crucible, but... Cruxable? Yeah, I could be wrong. That's a little bit more expensive, 650 39 black dial, beautiful watch, and automatic. Bertucci makes an A11. They call it the A11T. Because it's titanium. 275 bucks, 42 millimeters with an AmeriCorps movement. MWC, uh, a much vilified company, makes an A11 for 335 bucks, 38 millimeters, auto. I believe it's got a Miyota 8, but don't quote me. Baltany, a new player to the A11 scene, 175 bucks, 39 millimeters, NA38, this is an interesting proposition because it's inexpensive um, and it looks pretty good. They've got it in a gold and also a black. And perhaps most notably, Presidious. Presidious makes a $600 hand-wind mechanical A11 that comes in both 38 and 32, which is Mm -hmm. true to the original size. I think Presidious is the only company right now producing a true A11 watch. Yeah. And they appear to be terrific. Um, There's a few different versions you can buy. I think probably their most popular version is one uh, that's based on a fellow named Tom Rice. Uh, Presidious, maybe? What is that? Presidious, not Presidious. There's only one eye. Oh, Presidious? Okay. Well, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, Presidious. So it, it, I'm sure I'm sure there's a few more. That that's a list of six Presidious. companies that are making these. You said I sent you this list, and you said, well, and maybe this is a good place for us to segue. This is kind of our divergence from what my original plan was. You sent me, or I sent you this list and said, these are the ones I can find. And you said, well, add the Vero S3 to that, and I think you've Bayer. got a Veyer S3 to that, and I think you've got it covered. And I was like, the Veyer S3 is not an A11 watch, Andrew. And you were like, well... It's not not, but it's not... It doesn't fit the spec sheet. And and I said, it's just not. The hand's wrong. It's got syringe hands, which are appropriate for a GGW113, the Vietnam era evolution, uh, but not for an A11. The minute track is all wrong. 
different. The minute markers on the minute track are wrong. They're, they're at, at five minute demarcations. Well, they're at the they're at the fives and not the zeros. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not an A11 watch. It's really just a field watch. And so I think that it's important to note that. And I think you I think you ultimately relented. Oh, on I didn't that. disagree. But I also feel like it fits the idea of the A11. And then you look at I looked at the spec sheet and I looked at the watch and I looked at actual A11s and I was like, no, you're you're definitely right. This is not an A11. This is a iteration, a growth, an evolution of the A11. Oh, my seat wasn't all the way down. So I think that perhaps brings us to maybe the first point we're going to make today, which is that with all of these watches, whether that's an A11 or a GGW113 mm-hmm. or, um, you know, whatever, th- there's a, n- a number of different iterations. The Mill W3818B, which is like the ground version of the GGW113. It, all of these watches were were spec watches, right? They were made to a spec. So anything that's released today that's not to that spec is <laughs> an interpretation. An interpretation. And for for the A11, for instance, as far as I can tell, and and, and I don't think the Presidus actually Presid- yeah, I don't qualifies <clears throat> because because the movement's wrong. So yeah, we've, you know, what's important is the dial. The most important thing is the case size. The most important thing is the, is the movement important? What's important. And if you're going to call your watch an a 11, but be titanium 42 millimeters and have a quartz movement. Are you, uh, (laughs) You and and what's better is the Bertucci A11T doesn't even have dial. Like it's got a several different dial configurations, most of which aren't right. So does the Cruxable. And so, what are we talking about here? If you're saying this is A11, and you're not, and none of the things are right, are we okay with that? Oh, of course we I, are. I, well, I don't know. Are we okay with it? Are there an A11? Because the 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 Bulova A11 hack, if it comes with a true A11 dial, comes in blue. Right. <laughs> right. Is that acceptable? And I don't I don't necessarily think it's not acceptable. No, of course it's acceptable. No. Of course the it's spec sheet didn't say blue. The <laughs> assumption was black. But what's the point, right? It, if if I'm willing to say, well, the VRS3 is not an A11 watch. Of course, they haven't marketed it as an A11 watch. But if I'm willing to say that's not an A11, but a 39 millimeter blue dialed watch from Hamilton, an automatic watch from Hamilton is, what are we actually talking about here? We're just talking in circles here. Yeah, what my point is, what's the distinction? I don't know. And I I think the answer is that there are no... A11s on the market, which shocked me. Except for maybe the Presidus, which is Presidus. close. Presidus. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going with Presidus. I think that's right. I think Presidus is right. 
Presidius? Sidi? Nope, it's got not a second E sound. Presidus. <laughs> We're barely literate people here. Um, but what it comes down to is, is I was kind of shocked by how few true A11s were out there. And we, I mean, I dug pretty deep. I went to like brands that I was like, no, I know you make an A11 because you've got this track, but you don't have demarcations or you've got the wrong handset. Like, okay. Well, no, this, this company has to do it. Well, that's a field watch that has a 12 and a 24 hour ring. And it kind of got me it. So that's, that sort of like set me further down my path of like, how much is too much of a good thing? Not just with the A11. The A11 was the first example, like one of the first examples of a spec watch where everyone is expected to make the same thing. But you can't put your logo on it. Sorry. And we see iterations later of not the A11, but of say the the dirty dozen, mm-hmm. where we have another spec watch, generally spec watch, World War II watch, where everyone's making the same thing, and it created this thing where it was okay that everyone was making the same thing, and all these companies are getting their money making the same thing. And now here we are in a world where everyone has a field watch. Yeah. And more or less, they're all specced the same. Not just kind of the same, but like the same. 12, 24-hour track, decent loom, round case, decent crown, Maybe a four o'clock crown if you're feeling salty, spicy even. And I'm wondering how much is too much. We have this iterative post A11, three up to four companies are making it. Currently six companies are making it. More people are making a iterative design on the A11 than were originally doing it. That's crazy. So a few years ago, Henry Margino, one of the watch clicker staff writers, uh, wrote and published an article on watch clicker. This article is called Leveling the Field, Aesthetic Remixes of the Field Watch or Mm -hmm. 1001 Ways to Get It Right. And in that article, Henry talks about watches such as the Hamilton Khaki Field. He talks about the Timex Campers. Uh, and expeditions. He 90% talks, of Timex three handers. He mean. talks about the, um, he talks about the, the, uh, prestigious a 11. Uh, and, and, you know, he talks about this phenomenon, right? Where we've got these 20 different watches that he's got on the table in front of him. And they're all basically the same but they're all slightly different and they're all doing slightly different things. He doesn't take the same position that you do, at least ostensibly Andrew, which is there's too much. And, and, and I'm probably with Henry. I, I don't think 
that there is too much. I'm wondering. I'm questioning. I do think at some point you have to ask, what am I adding? As I release this watch, what am I contributing? What am I adding? With Presidus, I think it's real clear what they're adding, mm-hmm. right? They're making this really honest, really unrepentant homage to this watch that's that's not terrifically common. Um, you, you know, I, I think probably more common than the A11 is the GGW113, which mm-hmm. is really probably the archetypal field watch, right? Yeah, it's the foundation by which every other field watch has ever stood upon. That is where, it, it's not where the 24-hour track is introduced, but that's where the 24-hour track cements its place in field watch lore. Uh, that is where the markers and the fonts that we know and love today are all really, they, they all, all those things really cement themselves as part of the conversation. And today you can go buy for 450 bucks a brand new Hamilton khaki mechanical, which is, but for the size, an A11 watch, right? It looks like an A11. It wears like an A11. Um, but it's kind of or not an A11, excuse yeah, me. A excuse me, a GGW113. Um, and, and so, and, and it's not just it's not just Hamilton, right? A few years ago when Timex released their Expedition North, a lot of people mm-hmm. say, oh, it's a knockoff Hamilton, which is a, such a, such a silly thing to say because it's not it's a, it's a reimagination <laughs> of a spec watch that's right that's right oh, oh, but uh, there's something there's something to be said about that ideology um with the a11 i think it's a little different with the a11 because you've got so few companies you know six seems like a lot but of those six, there's only like two. There's 75,000 companies making right. a dive watch. That's right. So <clears throat> all that to say, if you're going to set out to make a new field watch, obviously you've got companies like Boulder mm-hmm. that are doing things way different. Mm-hmm. But you, still super familiar. You've got companies like... um Oh, what's the one, uh, the 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 one that scored so high on our um, Vayer? Not Vayer. Oh no no no. Uh, oh, why am I fairer? Just, no, not fairer. The the uh, one who the the guy released a few years ago. The the man in his watch, Matt Hranek. Um, I'm just blanking. And Andrew, you are zero help. You're not doing a good job describing anything. You're just like, you mean naming the owner? Uh, anyway, you've got these, these companies that are doing (laughs) these things in slightly different ways, but, but very familiar ways. And then you've got companies that are doing them in, in really faithful ways, right? Uh, almost indistinguishable, such as Hamilton from the, from the beginnings. So when you, when a brand owner is going to make one of these things, how how do they position this in the market, the saturated market, 
and and how do you convince yourself that you're contributing something to the community? I think that's got to be the question. Easier to answer for a company like Boulder with their crazy case and their crazy dial colors. And working entirely in titanium. And That's right. That's right. Sorry, I wasn't really listening, so I'm not prepared to offer a... Another thing, because I was trying to look up the watch brand that you were poorly describing. Serica. <clears throat> there it is. <laughs> Christ almighty, Andrew. I don't feel bad. Okay. Because I also couldn't think of the brand name even when you said his name. I was like, I fucking know that. Um, but yeah, you look at, I mean, a, a brand like Serica is a perfect example. Or a brand like Vayer is another really good example who are doing these really kind of classic simple spec styled watches, right? Very Spartan design, well specced, and that's it. That's their thing is they're doing what would otherwise be considered spec watches in a really cool way and super different ways. You know, Vera is doing a very modern interpretation and while Serica is doing like a very like vintage inspired interpretation of these things. And they do some interesting stuff with their like dial fonts and, and that, but I, I'm <clears throat> this idea of everyone's doing the same thing kind of became not problematic, but like, when is it, when is it too much that everyone has the same field watch? I'm going to read a snippet from Henry's article. Cause I think that this excerpt, uh, I think that this kind of captures what we're talking about, but maybe in a roundabout way. It says one thing that is worth mentioning in terms of the history of field watches is that soldier, soldiers were issued one and expected to take care of it. As with the aforementioned objects, field watches were built to function and with reasonable wear and tear to serve the wearer for an extended period. Aside from serving a particular function, objects such as the field watch, and then he says, or the KitchenAid mixer or Ray-Ban Wayfarers, which are intended to last, must be designed in a way that makes them timeless. What's ironic is that a foolproof way to transcend time and space aesthetically is to have a clear purpose and functionality that is almost impossible to be improved on. In other words, mm -hmm. the necessity of the function oftentimes drives the timelessness, timelessness of the look. So I, he, he, does it, it, Henry. he does a couple interesting things there. One, he compares the the field watch to Wayfarers and a KitchenAid mixer. I think the Wayfarers, I've used that comparison in talking about something like the SKX. Um, but a KitchenAid mixer, it, it, I started to think about that. And I was like, that is such a terrific comparison. So the KitchenAid mixer famously, or perhaps not, I don't know, <laughs> designed by Hobart. And there's a legend about that, which is that when Hobart was designing their home mixer, someone said, this is the most fantastic kitchen aid 
that has ever been created and thus was born the KitchenAid stand mixer. I don't know if that's true or not, and it doesn't matter because it's a terrific story. Because the legend is better than the story. But when you look at the design of the KitchenAid stand mixer, it has not changed meaningfully in a half a century. Uh, KitchenAid... But it remains on every wedding registry that has ever been made. That's right. Stand mixers are also interesting in another way that's similar to watches, or at least the type of watches we talk about on the show, which is that uh, the best ones remain almost entirely analog. Mm-hmm. Uh, the controls are analog. The you, you, you typically don't have electronics incorporated, although there are some new, Breville, I think, has some newfangled stuff. But pass. You want to have dials and and analog tactile feedback buttons and levers uh in that thing for a couple reasons one because when an analog lever breaks you you can open it up and see where it's broken and repair it uh and and two because that's just what the device demands the device demands turning and tension and levers and machines that are tactile, as you said, and accessible. Watches are similar. And I think the field watch is the truest expression of that. And I think Henry hits the nail on the head by designing a specification that is so purpose-built. Yeah. You, you create something that will transcend amendments and adjustments now are arguably and as we've already alluded to today on this show i think the ggw 113 is perhaps a slight improvement to Mm -hmm. the a11 and and i think the thing we can most easily point to is well two things one of those is the 24-hour track it's an just objectively better dial and the second thing is the luminescence mm-hmm. so a11 no mention of luminescence in the specs for the a11 that by the time the ggw 113 comes around we've got much more accessible luminescent material mm-hmm. radioactive or not doesn't matter and you weren't expected to survive so <laughs> get poisoned so there's a technological advancement that happens in that period of time that made that possible um and so, which is not to say the A11 design was perfect. It obviously wasn't. But at the at the time, I think it was hard to do much better than what we were doing. I mean, there's all sorts of subjective, you, you know, Bulova and Elgin and Waltham. Elgin and Waltham do their dials differently. You can tell mm-hmm. a Bulova A11 because it's going to have that train track, minute track. Mm-hmm. But besides that, these watches all look the same. Most of them had a fluted bezel. Um, they they all look very similar. By design. That was the intent. And so there's something about that. People took time and they said, what do we need? What do we want? What's the execution? So, yeah, move this around or connect these lines or whatever. But this is 
this is the iconic um, and, and, and absolute standard for this device. And, and that in and of itself, that process in and of itself, by putting things where they should be, mise en place, you create something that's timeless when it's well done. Can you imagine the dudes on the committee like voluntold to sit on this committee to build this spec sheet and manual? And it's an evolution of a previously existing army manual for timekeeping instruments. Yes. It's interesting because at the time this was created, 1942 probably is when this was created. Everybody was in the army. Everybody Everybody had joined the war effort in the United States and and everywhere really in the world. Um, And so, you know, this probably was a combination of young engineers and designers and, and maybe also some haggard old watchmakers, some real industrial designers um who who knows and and it'd be really fascinating to understand who was on that committee that put these specs together um but yeah this is a committee of people who knew what the fuck they were doing how many of these people do you think all like came from working at elgin or bulova or waltham and were were already entrenched in the industry balancing like hey i know this is what's possible with what we can produce we do know that the watchmakers that the watch brands the american watch brands Mm -hmm. participated in this project which is why we know hamilton specifically did not participate in the a11 project so Mm -hmm. we do know that the brands were involved so yeah you're, you're certainly right andrew there were watchmakers and watch designers and watch engineers that were part of that process what a cool watch history thing to have existed in this collision of the war effort against watch design that really gave birth to it's okay for us all to be making the same thing or competing kind of in this space to be making the same thing and somehow better than the others. And I know in this instance in the a 11, they got their, their, their purchase order, and they just made watches to fill it. But it created an interesting competitive space where it's like, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better than you, even if I don't have to. Yeah. And then, you know, now everyone makes a field watch. Yeah. When you approached me about this episode, I, I think you came at it with a <clears throat> bit of disgruntledness and I'm not sure, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the genesis of that was. And maybe you could talk about it, but it was Sam um, telling me that all my watches look exactly the same and she's just fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, and there's some perspective there too. I've talked about it on the show before, but um, you know, I my my first watch purchasing journey was comparing the the Mako to the SKX and and really having a hard time telling them apart at first. Like, well, these are the same. What's different? And of course now they I I don't think they look at all alike, right? And so there is some relative exposure that's going to change your perspective on that. But um, I think your disgruntledness was maybe more focused than that. You, you know, you, you had said something to me along the lines of if if we're in a world 
where you can just make a spec watch and start a watch brand. What's the point? And and although I think that that's a, a, an incredibly fair thing to say with regards to watches in general, um, oh, it, it's maybe not true about the A11, which I believe we discovered. It's definitely not true about the A11. Um, that to say, um, and, and we talked about this a little bit, like what are you contributing? What are you adding to yeah. the watch world? And Nick Harris, I think I've talked about this on this show before, but Nick Harris at one point said to me of Orion, when I had sent him a drawing of a watch for Foster, and I said, what do you think of this? And he had said to me, not rudely, but in a particularly Nick Harris way, um, you, you know, I think you need to, the, he said, the, the world doesn't need more watches, Everett. The world needs more watch designers making interesting watches. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't meant to be mean. It was more meant to make me think about what was happening. Like, what, what are we doing with this? Yeah. Um, I, and, and I appreciated that. I appreciated that advice, even if it stung a little bit. Um, and, and I'm not one to say you shouldn't be making this watch to anybody, right? Uh, because we live in a capitalist society. Uh, make your nut. Make your nut. That's right. But aesthetically or, or perhaps horologically, I want more. I want contributions. That's right. I, I want more. I don't mean I don't mean more in quantity. I mean more in intrigue. Yeah. I want more. I'm I'm satisfied with the amount. I want to be where the people are. Yeah. Walking around on what do you call them feet? <laughs> uh I I am generally satisfied with the amount of 12, 24 hour track watches that exist in the world. There, there's maybe some cool and things. And with the Hamilton Khaki Mechanical, do you actually need more watches than that? I'm not sure you do. I'm, I'm not sure you do either. Uh, and I don't just mean field watches. I mean watches. It's the perfect watch. I'm like pretty okay with it. And I, and I like more is more cause I really do believe that more is more and more is more better. It's the monkeys on the typewriters, right? Yeah. I just, I want to see, and I, I think Nick nailed it. Do we need more watches? And I think the answer is no. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. The world does not need more watches. Concur. The world needs more interesting, thoughtfully designed shit. I think GM Lang is a really good example. Poor Garrett. <laughs> and, and right, well, you you know, it, it's not it's nothing against him. He saw a really awesome opportunity to make some money to do something cool. And he really aggressively attacked that. And they did, in fact, do a cool thing because they were doing something that other people were doing for way less money. I mean, GM Lang was the one of our episodes 
the best bang for your buck watch. That never it never made it to market. Let's, it never let's made it to market. The, and that's the GM Link Trail Seeker never made it to market. And that's why. Because they were doing something that people were already doing, and they tried to do it for less and realized that that's just not feasible. Uh, apropos of our show, uh, the the GM Lang watch, the the Trail Seeker was, I believe, if I'm remembering right, uh, very close to a Dirty Dozen dial. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm thinking about. It's like, what are you contributing? Are you just trying to make some money, or are you doing something cool? You know, I think the worst defender of this. So, as I was going through that list, I'm gonna I'm gonna read that list real again, real quick. It's an, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are the ones I could find: the Bull of a Hack, the MK2 Crucible or Crucible, the Bertucci A11T, the Presidus A11, whether it's Tom Rice or or the 44, MWC, and Baltany. Now, um, of these, I find the Bull of a Hack to be the most offensive. And it's not an offensive watch. It is a lovely watch uh, that's well-priced. It's been on many of our lists. That's well-sized. Um, but for a company like Bulova, which is bizarrely the only American company that exists in anything even remotely similar to its American roots, for a company like Bolova to have made this watch, which is cool, but not at all what I want it to be. It feels offensive to me. And and you could argue with me on that at all at, at, at many different angles. That to say, I love what Presidus has done here, mm-hmm. which is to really faithfully go into this with expectations of making a watch that people are going to love. And I do get the feeling that Presidus is thoughtful about making a watch that people are going to be going to love, but also making a watch that doesn't really exist. You cannot buy a 32 millimeter a 11 outside of Presidus or vintage. That's right. Of course that's right. right. They are making the only watch that's anything close to the original and and maybe there's a tiny little market for a 32 millimeter field watch probably almost non-existent it almost isn't justifiable for them to produce this watch with that said they make it they do it anyway and i think it's rad and i think it's rad um the rest of these are are interesting and I think of these, the, the most expensive, the MK2, is probably the one I'd be most inclined to own, mm-hmm. not just because Bill Yao is a rad dude. He's the coolest guy I've ever met. But because it's a really beautiful, really well-made watch, which is not to say the rest of these aren't, um, but there's none of the watches on this list that I'm like, gotta have it. I'd be more inclined to buy a Gigi or a Garrett Lang trail seeker if it were available because it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Even if it was a copy of like three other watches, nine, maybe even, (laughs) you you know, I, I, I want to, I want to 
buy and wear interesting watches. I'm I'm and for me I'm closer to like a Vayer S3. It's not exactly an A11, but it's really damn close. It has that same kind of feel. It's like an iterative play on the A11. And it's interesting because they're because Vayer's doing cool shit. You know this. I, I, this might be uh, I, I might be um, speaking too soon for you, uh, but I think this might be a good thought to leave the show on. So famously, Hamilton khaki mechanical is a very close iteration of a watch that. Hamilton has been making for now 75 years going on 70 years. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and, and, and they made, they made watches for Vietnam soldiers. They made civilian watches. They continue to make that watch and basically have almost constantly the sizes have been different. The movements have been different. Uh, the dials have been different. But it's been the same watch. And you can today buy famously i think five years ago or maybe four years ago hamilton adjusted the dial on their hamilton khaki mechanical god has it been that long and it was instantly a hit when i bought bought the hamilton khaki mechanical a watch that i knew almost as soon as i started collecting watches i needed to have i bought two of them i bought the new one that is much closer to an og ggw 113 dial and I bought the last version of Hamilton's main line, which is not that dial. It's a little bit different. The markers are smaller. The spacing is different. But after getting the two, I made the decision to stick with the older one. Mm-hmm. And, and I did that for a couple of reasons. One, it felt less generic even though it was the older version and it wasn't the cool, the new kid, um, it felt like, well, this is a, this is a really like, this is Hamilton's design. It does all the exact same things, Mm -hmm. but this is Hamilton's design. This other one's not really Hamilton's design. This is a spec design. And, 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 and furthermore, I just liked it better. It was a more interesting watch to me for those reasons. And so having both of them in my hands at the same time. Did you double wrist them? No. With, but, but with absolutely no reason to pick one over the other. No financial impulse. No, there was no good reason to pick one. I had them both. I could just pick. I went with the older one because it was more interesting. And I think that's the point, right? You can do this and you can still be interesting. Yes. Especially if you're not... If you're making an A11 and it's not 32 millimeters. Make it super fucking interesting. Make it interesting, right? Like if you're either trying to make it to the spec or not. And if you're not trying to make it to the spec, make it cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just make it cool. Make cool watches. Make cool watches. Andrew. Mm. Other things. What do you got? I have another thing. So I uh, watched an FX series several years ago called Justified. I've heard of this. And it That's was got Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant, yeah. Oliphant? 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 Elephant? Elephant? 
who is a really great cowboy. Uh, the whole premise of the show, and, and for those of you who somehow are unfamiliar with FX shows, is they are like second only to premium channels. FX makes such good shows. So the whole premise of the show is that Timothy Oliphant's character is a U.S. Marshal, and he gets reassigned back to kind of his general hometown. And it's a really interesting, kind of like the Wire meets John Wayne Westerns. And it's great. It's a super enjoyable show. The character arcs are terrific. It has probably my favorite of all time television character in the show because it's just this beautiful story arc and it's a really complex character and they do a good job telling you why the character is the way that they are and also like showing this growth and progression throughout the show. Anyway, it ended a couple years ago, several years ago at this point, a couple, like about a month ago, I saw a trailer for a spinoff miniseries still starring our boy Tim. Right. Justified City Primeval. And it's the same character, but now he is like in this miniseries, kind of gets tied up in something in Detroit. And he's stuck there. It is great. They like they found a way to pick up the show exactly where you left off. You don't notice, care about, or even think about the Delta of, I think, eight years between when the last season of the original Justified ended and where we are now. You can see character growth. You can see like, oh, this guy is older. He has changed. He has grown. But it's still the dude. Right. And this show is great. And some, it's a limited series, right? It's a limited-ish, kind of open-ended limited series, from what I understand. Um, I still have, I think, two episodes to finish because I'm streaming it on Hulu. Uh, so I think there's two episodes left in this season. There's kind of a question mark as to whether or not they will do another season or maybe another limited series, like a relocation kind of thing. Um and I think they're kind of just playing it by ear on whether or not they're going to renew it. But it is cool because I loved like I, I, I watched I, I caught caught up on Primeval and I was like, I'm going to go back and watch the original one because the show is really good. You, you know, Andrew, it's <clears throat> interesting because I think probably your favorite two FX series I did not like. I did not like Justified. I did not like Sons of Anarchy. God, you're dumb. With that said, I, I enjoyed Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy was point. really good until the last season. The last season was butts. But if you're anything like me and you're like, Andrew's crazy, FX makes terrible series, just listen to this. It's got 90% on Rotten. Justified, The Americans, Fargo, Fuck yeah. Sons of Anarchy, Legion, The Bear, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Always Sunny, and there's more. I think you're right, Andrew. I think, oh, The League 
which yeah. if you haven't watched <laughs> the fucking league, go watch it. Dave is FX. Uh, yeah, FX is like second only to the premium channels. What we do in the shadows? Holy right? shit. Was yeah. it American Horror Story FX? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I did not. I don't actually think American Horror Story is a good series, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to move on from there because I, I don't want to make anybody mad. Yes, it was FX. Yeah. Uh, very they cool. just do really well-produced, really well-written. Everett's uncultured. He doesn't care for character <coughs> development. He just wants to see the titties on Game of Thrones. <laughs> And that's what he wants. And that's okay. I don't blame you. Yeah. You just don't get that with FX because it's, it's cable. It's FX, yeah. And not, you know, stars or Skinamax. Andrew, I got another thing. Do me. I've talked about pens, writing pens on this show before. Apple pens. Uh, the folks. Did you know G2 makes a .38 oh, on I the did. pilot? Yes. I used one today and I was like, well, fuck that. I guess I'm now into the .38 zone. Yeah. Yeah, G2, uh, G2 is like one of the icons. I have used for the last several years a handful of pens. I'm still a Pilot High Tech C guy. I'm still a Uniball guy. Yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> but I recently picked up a new set of pens. I was getting low on my pens. I use blue, black ink. I'm a big proponent of blue-black ink. But I was looking for a, a new pen. I wanted a new pen. And, and the Japanese do small gauge pens better than gel, gel ink pens, better than anybody else in the world. Tracks. Uh, Zebra, very, very famous company. If you have, you, you may have had like a Zebra, the F, I think they're 305s or whatever, which you can buy at Office Depot or Office Max. But Zebra's got a JDM line of gel ink pens called the Sarasa. And the Sarasa Clip, which is a clicky, clippy pen that I've had in and out of my collection, they released an iteration of the Zebra Sarasa Clip called the Zebra Sarasa R. And I'd read about this thing and I thought, well, I'll try them out. They're a buck 75 a piece. You can order them from jet pens uh, and probably a few other places. You may even be able to get these on Amazon. Stationary pal, you can get them for 99 cents a piece. In a 0.4 blue black zebra Saras R, I ordered one of these and then I went back in and I ordered 20 of them. It is my new favorite gel ink pen. If you like a Pilot High Tech C or the Uniball, um, I think Zebra's making the best gel ink pen between the clip is the, and the uh, R. Is the clip metal? Make it's metal. plastic. It's plastic with a metal with metal springs and foundation. No, no, no. So the like so I put my I clip my pens like a mm -hmm. is it is it plastic? It, it's plastic, but it's a spring. Oh, interesting. It's a hinge with a spring so you can actually squeeze it to open it and it closes. And I have, I don't believe I've gone through probably 20 of these. I don't think I've ever broken the clip on a zebra Sarasa clip. Do you clip R. your pen to think the thing that I clip my pens to is thick. Yeah. I mean, I put it in my pocket. I put it in my bag. Um, 
It's it's just an incredibly well-made pen. All that to say, the R is different from the clip, I think, only in one meaningful way, which is that supposedly there's 25% more pigment that's floated in the ink. I don't notice a huge difference there, but if you've used a Zebra Sarasa clip in a point four, the R is a little bit smoother. It's a little bit smoother to write mm. with, and it actually looks better too. It's a white case instead of a clear case. And I think it's just a terrific pen. It is my new favorite pen, the Zebra Sarasa R.0.4 in blue-black. That's my other thing for the week. Andrew, do you want to say anything about that? I, I'm going to insist that you give me one. I've got one. I can give you one. Okay. It'll be linked. <laughs> They're terrific. I'll give you one and you'll have to report back. I will let you know. It is a, okay, so it's a clip. It's a clip with a spring. And mm. it's a metal spring. And it's not like a round spring. It's a lever spring. And I've never broken one. And you I, can get refills for this if you really want. But I, I just use them and get a new one when I'm done. As as pens are, they're they're uh, durable. Items. I think it is my new, very favorite, yeah, durable gel ink pen. It is worse than um, a a pilot. Uh, what's that? What, what, I'm just blanking on it. The G two. The G two. It's worse than a pilot G two in the sense that you're gonna have to order these. And when you run out, you're going to have to order more. You can't go to Home Depot and get these or Office Max or Target or mm. Walmart. Everywhere in the world carries a Pilot G2. So if you want a Pilot G2, you just go to the Everyone carries the point seven. I prefer the point five. I'm recently aware of the point three eight. I prefer the point three eight to the point five. But if you're someone that uses a Pilot G2 and you're like, this is it, you have just... You have just breached the surface of this world because there are about 50 pens that you can buy on jet pens or somewhere else right now that will exceed a Pilot G2 in almost every sense possible. And if you're not excited about pen improvements in your life, you're doing it wrong. That's right. This is a watch podcast. Stop it. Go get a better pen. Yeah. Andrew, anything else you want to add before we go today? Well, I'm all out of things, man. Hey, you guys, thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. We talk about watches, and you can check us out on our website, watchclicker.com. That's where we post every single episode of this podcast, as well as reviews and articles, things like Henry Marginot's article on the Field Watch, which will be linked in today's show notes. If you want to check us out on social, you can do that at, at watchclicker or at 40 and 20 underscore watch clicker. We post and report that 40 and 20 <laughs> Instagram. Shit's a fake. If you want to support us, and oh boy, we hope you do, you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Look, that's how we got all the money to keep the wheels on this truck a turning. 
And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.